let's, let's just imagine something. Would you imagine something with me? Let's imagine that somebody from our church decided to run for president. All right. I know you guys are thinking, well, who would that be? You know, maybe you're thinking, uh, maybe you're thinking uh, Stan Franz, you know, he's like this strong, silent type, you know, and anytime he speaks, you're like, that's deep. That's good. You know, cause he saves his, his, his conversation for zingers, you know, and maybe, maybe you think Tony, Tony Hillerman. I mean, he's got experience running for office. You know, he would be a good candidate to run for, for president. Maybe, Maybe you think Jason, I mean, he's got, he's got youth on his side, you know, maybe he'd get the youth voter to, I don't think you're even old enough to run for president. That's another story. But let's just say that someone in here runs for president and we become part of the campaign team. We're part of the, the team that's supposed to get the, the, the guy elected to become president. So let's picture that we're all part of that campaign team and the candidate comes into us and he says, here's, here's what's going to happen. He says, let me tell you, not only am I going to lose the election, but the, uh, the opposition is going to assassinate me. Now, if our candidate said that, we would probably say, I would probably say, dude, that is so good. That's like motivation. You're trying to motivate us to get you elected. You know, stand, good thinking, man. We're, you know, I, but, but really that's not what's happening. We would probably be a little confused. We'd probably think the candidate was being sarcastic or, or, or trying to motivate us to work a little bit harder. But you see this little story, this little imagination is not really far from what the disciples experienced with Jesus. As we've studied uh, recently in uh, our Jesus the King sermon series through the gospel of, of Mark, we've seen almost that same exact thing where Jesus has, has been revealed as the Christ, as the Messiah. And, and, and he said, here's how I'm going to lead. I'm going to lead by giving my life as a sacrifice. I'm going to allow the opposition to put me to death so I can actually bring freedom. See, Jesus has been spending the last couple of, of, of weeks we've studied looking how Jesus is trying to teach these disciples what it means really to be about the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God is not like any other kingdom that you and I would have any sort of familiarity with. It is completely different. And these disciples are struggling to understand why it is that Jesus came and what exactly his kingdom looks like. And so to an effort to, in an effort to help them understand, an effort to get the disciples to really embrace this idea and to enlighten them, we've seen Jesus, he's been spending a lot of time with just the disciples. He's been pouring into just them, trying to teach them so they would understand what exactly, why Jesus came and what exactly the kingdom of God looks like. And so today, today, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. If you need a Bible, just slip your hand up. Uh, there's an usher in the back. They'd come bring one. We'll also have the verses up on the screen so you can follow along up here. In Mark chapter 9, we're going to look at something that I call kingdom greatness. Okay? And, and what we're going to see is Jesus is going to teach his disciples about what greatness really is. And this is further just Jesus trying to reiterate to them about why he came and what his kingdom really looks like. 
And in this passage, there's three different illustrations that we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking through in, in, in this passage. And they're all trying to teach one main idea. Everything is centered on one main idea. In fact, there's an old theologian who summarized this main idea as this. He said, it is, it is better to be honorable than to be honored. And that is the main idea that we're going to see throughout this entire passage. It is better to be honorable than to be honored. Most of us, we like the feeling of being honored, don't we? We like the idea of people honoring us. It feels great. It feels good to be loved and appreciated and to be given esteem. But Jesus is going to use these illustrations to teach his disciples as well as every one of us that our focus should not be on power and authority and status, but really he's, he's going to teach us that our focus should be on being a servant, should be on humility. Our focus should not be on being honored. Our focus should be on being honorable. So before we jump in, would you join me in prayer? God, we're so thankful for the opportunity to be gathered today. Uh, God, that we can open up your word. God, I'm thankful that, that we're here today not to hear a pastor's opinions about the best way to live life. But God, we're opening up your word and having your word teach us today. God, I pray that you help me as a pastor, that I would stand out of the way, that it would be your word that would be clear today, that you would draw people to yourself. God, I pray that you would give us this understanding, that you would help us to understand the way that your kingdom works. And the fact that, God, you are calling every one of us by name. You're calling us into a relationship with you. And, and this is way, the way that your kingdom works. God, I pray that you would give us an understanding today. I pray that you would meet us and you would give us exactly what we need. Jesus, we ask this in your holy and perfect name. Amen. So Mark chapter 9, we're going to start looking at verse 30. This is what it says. And they went on from there and they passed through Galilee. And he, Jesus, he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise again. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. See, as we said, Jesus is trying to spend some time with just his disciples. He wants to have that intimate time teaching them. And so Jesus takes the long way home to Capernaum because he doesn't want to be bothered by the crowds. He wants to have the time to focus on those disciples and to pour into those men. And he tells them very plainly. He tells them very clearly. He says, the son of man is going to be delivered and into the hands of men and they will kill him. And after he is killed in three days, he will rise again. This is now the second time of three in the gospel of Mark that Jesus says very plainly, this is what's going to happen to me. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be killed. And three days later, I'm going to be resurrected again. This is the third time Second time he's told them that. And Jesus is trying to make the point to his disciples. He's trying to help them understand that my kingdom, God's kingdom, is not like any other kingdom that we've ever seen or we've ever experienced. He says, my kingdom doesn't operate, operate like any other kingdom in the world. See, worldly kingdoms, they're all about power and influence and authority and, and, and reigning supremely and being served. I mean, this is why you think of a king and you think of servants. They've got servants that do the work for them. 
But Jesus is saying, my kingdom is just a little bit different. My kingdom is kind of like an upside down kingdom. He says the kingdom of God in the kingdom of God, the greatest victory is actually found in defeat. In the kingdom of God, the greatest power is actually found in humility. See, Jesus is trying to get across to these disciples that his sacrificial death, what appears as a loss, what appears as a complete loss and failure, is actually the greatest conquest over sin and death and hell. What appears to be weakness by Jesus is actually his very strength. But these disciples, verse 32, it says they still didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. And they were afraid to ask. I wonder, though, I wonder, do you think the disciples really didn't understand? Or do you think they didn't want to understand? Maybe they just didn't want to listen and to hear and to understand what Jesus was saying. Maybe, maybe you've had a situation like this. Where maybe you're talking with a friend or a colleague, and they say something completely off the wall, completely unexpected, something that you had no clue this was coming. And, 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 and so maybe you've had this happen, and, and, and you sort of kind of let it slide. Maybe they say something and you don't respond to it because you're a little bit out of fear. Like, I don't want to approach that subject. I don't want that to be true. I don't want that to be the way things are. And so you kind of ignore what they just said. And maybe you change the topic and talk about something else. You might just hear something, but you'd rather not ask about it because if that's really what it is, then it has implications for you. This is kind of like what is happening here with the disciples. They heard Jesus, but they don't want to go there. They don't want to go any further. They don't want to understand what he's talking about. So our text continues in verse 33, and it says, They came to uh, Capernaum, and he was in the house. He asked them, and he said, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. You can imagine Jesus and his disciples, they're walking on the way to Capernaum. And, and typically when you're traveling together, you're going to spend some time talking and, and discussing whatever it is. And the disciples, they have no desire of being in a conversation with Jesus because they don't want to talk about what Jesus talked about. They don't want to talk about their Messiah suffering and being put to death and being resurrected. They don't want to talk about that. So you can picture the disciples are walking maybe a few yards behind Jesus and they're talking amongst themselves. And Jesus pointedly asks him, and he says, what is it you guys were discussing on the way? And Jesus' Jesus's question is followed by a bunch of, of blank stares. It's kind of like this. My, my, my son Oliver is five years old, and he's got an upstairs bedroom in our house. And it's funny because in the upstairs bedroom, you can hear everything that goes on. I mean, anytime he steps, anytime he does something, you, you hear it. And so it's fun because you go and you put Oliver to bed. And you're like, good night, buddy. And then you go downstairs and do whatever. And you hear. And you go upstairs and you open the door. And he dives under the covers, lays down, puts his arms out. And you're like, Oliver, what are you doing? Nothing. Just sleeping. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of like what's happening here with Jesus. The disciples, they had been arguing over who would have a higher place in, in, in God's kingdom, a higher place in Jesus' kingdom. See, they still don't understand, or maybe they don't want to understand what Jesus is talking about, about Jesus having to suffer and to die for our sin. The disciples, they had a completely worldly view of, 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 of what greatness really is. I mean, they had 
in their mind, they were stuck on this idea that Jesus would be some sort of political savior. Because if Jesus was a political savior in, in a worldly standpoint, if he achieved greatness in a worldly standpoint, then those people closest to Jesus, what would he do? He would give them positions of authority. He'd invite those people in closest to him into his cabinet positions, his key positions, and by the same regard, bestowing upon them power and authority and dignity and these things. But if Jesus kept talking about being this suffering savior, then that would mean that those closest to him would experience some of his same suffering and rejection and humbling. And so the disciples, they don't see, they don't see how dying on the cross could lead to salvation and power. They don't see how humility and service could lead to strength and to greatness. They don't see how weakness and submission could ever lead to increased influence, authority, and power. Let me just throw this out by way of application. I wonder how many of us are like these disciples. I wonder how many of us have these conclusions that we've made about God in our mind. Oh, you know, if there's a God, then this is the way that God would operate. This is the way that God would be. And we've made these conclusions in our mind that aren't necessarily true and accurate to what the Bible says, but we've got these conclusions in our mind and we aren't going to allow anything to influence us. So maybe for you, maybe you, you fall on that side of grace and you fall on that side of love and say, well, God, God is a God of love. He's not a God of rejection. He's not a God of, of, of justice. So, you know, that whole idea about, about God being mad at somebody because of their sin, the whole idea of God judging somebody because of their sin, the whole idea of hell, man, God's too loving for that. That's not the kind of God that I want to follow. So I'm not going to listen to that. And I'm just going to preach this idea that God is all love and, and everything's good and gravy and we're all happy. Or maybe you fall on the other side of it. And maybe you, you, you say, well, no, no, God, I don't like that idea of God being all about love and grace and forgiveness. I like to think of God as being a God of righteousness and a God of justice. And so you kind of skip over the parts of the Bible that talk about God being forgiven and God being loving and God being all these things. And you focus on the sin and you become yourself the person that says, hey, you're in sin. God hates you for that. And that becomes the message that you share with the people because that's the kind of God and your mind that you want to follow. So, let me just encourage you today. Let me just encourage you today. Be cautious. Be cautious about making your own conclusions about who God is and about what God is like. Isaiah 55 verse 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. See, we have to allow God's word to make sure that we are letting God's word set the idea for who God is and for what he is like. This requires faith. This requires us to put our faith in God. Because if God was just the kind of God that I could imagine, that'd be easy. But if I'm going to allow God to be who God is, to be the kind of God that God really is, that's going to require that I put faith in him and I trust him. And I trust that even though I fall on that loving side and I want that loving God, I trust that God in his perfect wisdom can balance justice and grace 
forgiveness and righteousness. And he can balance all of these things. It requires us to put our faith in him. But it requires us also to allow God's word to speak into that. Where we don't make our own conclusions about who God is. We allow God's word to influence us. So it continues in verse 35. And it says, And Jesus sat down and he called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and a servant of all. And he took a child and he put him in the midst of them. And taking him into his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. See, Jesus once again did for the disciples what he had done so often. As he begins to turn their world upside down. He explains how his kingdom is completely revolutionary towards our uh, society's ideas of value, of of. of, of, of the ideas of our society. Jesus is, is, is taking the way that, that success is commonly viewed. We view, commonly view success as being power and prestige and authority and position and titles and all these things. And, and Jesus is flipping it completely upside down with a gospel mentality. With a complete gospel mentality. It's this big idea. It's better to be honorable than it is to be honored. The path that Jesus was taking is what we call the gospel, which is Jesus humbling himself, Jesus taking our sins, everything we've done wrong. He takes that upon himself. He sacrifices his life for us. He gives his life so that we could have ours. And, and, and he gives it up. And this was quite literally Jesus being the living proof of what kingdom living really looks like. And what it looks like, what it means to be great in the kingdom of God. It means that we sacrifice ourselves. We, we give of ourselves for somebody else. We consider ourselves less than others. And so Jesus kind of on, uh, as a way to kind of do a, a, a picture of this. A, a, a children's Sunday school story where he brings an object lesson. Is he takes a child into his arms. He takes a child into his arms and he says, whoever receives a child also receives me. And not only do they receive me, they receive him who sent me. They receive God the Father. There's something that's really cool here and I don't want you to miss. Now, in other places, Jesus talks about children and he says, you must be like one of these children. You must become like a child to have your faith put in God. But here Jesus says something different. He says, whoever receives one of these child, or if you have the NIV, the NIVC, NIV says, whoever welcomes one of these child, children. And, and so we have to say, what's the difference? I mean, I mean, you'd think this would be a good time for Jesus to tell these prideful disciples. You'd think this would be a good time for him to say they needed to become like children. They needed to, to be humbled. But instead, Jesus talks about welcoming these child. What's the difference between becoming and welcoming? Well, children in their society, children had, had no rights. They had no rights at all. They were completely dependent on other people. They had no status in society. They were almost as bad as slaves. And so it's one thing, it's one thing for Jesus to tell the disciples, hey guys, chill out. Don't take yourselves so seriously. You know, have a little humility. It's one thing for Jesus to say that, but it's a complete another thing for Jesus to, to, to say and tell them to receive and celebrate 
the company of people who were the lowest class of society. People who were outcasts. People who were losers. People who everybody else would want to skip over and not pay any attention to. Jesus says, this is what my kingdom looks like. We receive, we welcome people like that. I tell you, a few weeks ago, I had the chance to go to an Acts 29 um, church planning uh, uh, pastors meeting. Uh, we're part of an Acts, uh, something called the Acts 29 Church Planning Network. It's a number of, of churches all across the country and all across the world. Church plants that are supporting each other to equip to plant more churches. So I went down to Salem, Oregon to this, this pastors meeting. And I'm still kind of new to this network. I'm still kind of get a feel for what it's about. And there was two pastors that I met that kind of stood out to me while I was there. One pastor... One pastor, he was actually the uh, administrative guy at his church. He was an administrative pastor. He was was like a number two at the church. And his lead pastor, his lead pastor had been through some rough times in the church. He had planted the church and he'd been through some rough times and kind of had withered the storm and made through. And he decided that he wanted to start a new church. He didn't want to be a part of the existing church anymore. So he begins recruiting some of the, the, the key people in that church. And he recruits them and says, hey, let's go, let's go plant this new church in this new part of the city. And you come and be with me. And this administrative guy who I met, he said, you know, it was really hard. Because, because it, felt like, it felt like that lead guy took all the cool people, took all the fun people, took all the gifted people, and left, and left me with all of these leftovers. And he said, our, heart, our church was hurting. We were feeling abandoned. And he said, you know, I've realized God has called me not to go and pursue the fun and the glamorous and the sexy and, and the exciting church plant, but God called me to be faithful to the people that were right here. These are the people that God called me to be faithful to. And I thought, dude, you're awesome. That is so encouraging to hear. And so this was this guy's story. Then there was another guy. There's another guy. He used to be a church planner, but now he does like church consulting and he, he coaches leaders and this kind of thing. And he was sitting, he was sitting at the fire pit and there was a number of pastors all around him. And it was so funny because he just sat there for two hours and he name dropped every prominent Christian leader's name that he had ever had contact with. So, you know, Christian leaders such as, um, uh, I got to find out where, <laughs> I got some notes here. He, uh, he sits there and he says, yeah, you know, John MacArthur, John MacArthur, me and John, we go way back. John MacArthur, I don't know if you know who he is. He's a well-known pastor uh, in California. He goes, me and John, we go way back. In fact, John didn't like some of the things that I was doing when I had my church in California. So what I would have to do is I'd have to walk into John MacArthur's office and I'd have to set him straight and put him back in his place. And then he'd be okay for another six months and then I'd do my thing. And then I'd have to come back and I'd have to put John back into his place. And he's just name dropping this. And I'm like, really? And then, and then he says, yeah, you know, and Andy Stanley, who's got like the second largest church in the America, it's in Atlanta. So it's got like 35,000 people in his church. He says, yeah, Andy Stanley calls me and says, hey, I'd really like you to come and, and coach some of my leaders around me. And he just goes through and he name drops and, and, and there's this guy and there's that guy and there's this guy and there's that guy. And he's, he's just really talking it up about how great he really is. And it was interesting at this pastor's meeting can you guess which pastor was more popular? Sadly, it was a guy that was name-dropping everybody. It was a guy that was really trying to show how great he really was. But you know which guy? You know which guy was really showing a, a kingdom mentality? You know which guy I connected with the most? 
You know which guy? I came back and I wrote a letter to say, man, I look up to you. I, I, I'm so encouraged by your story. It wasn't the guy that was name dropping. It was the guy who was faithful. It was the guy who was faithful with what God had called him to do. Jesus says in his kingdom, disciples should be willing. They should be joyful to keep company with the lowly in life. With people who might be classified as losers. With people that nobody in society wants to be around. See, to live with a kingdom mentality, to live in light of God's kingdom, it means that we should take joy in the presence of this kind of people. It means we should see worth and we should see value and we should see loveliness with people that our society wants to overlook. It's not glamorous. It's not glitzy. It's not sexy. But that's how the kingdom of God plays out. And this is what the kingdom of God looks like. And as as backwards as it may seem to most of us, there's actually a a, a tremendous, uh, tremendous amount of wisdom behind this simple truth. See, often it's a, it's a spirit of, of gentleness, of humility that can lead to the acquisition of authority. Which oftentimes when you see a, a proud, power-grabbing person, it often reveals and results in weakness. There's an example of this in, in, in 1 Kings chapter 12. 1 Kings chapter 12 tells the story of King Solomon and how King Solomon had died. And his son Rehoboam was going to become the king. The people came to the son, Rehoboam, and said, Hey, your father, he, he was harsh to us. And the elders of, of, of the king come to him and say, Hey, you know, you, your father was harsh to the people. He said, You should be a king who serves the people. But then Rehoboam, he calls his old high school buddies. And he says, Hey, what do you guys think? And, and his high school buddies say, Nah, man, you need to be even harsher. You need to conserve power. You need to increase your power. You need to be harsher. And so, of course, Rehoboam doesn't listen to the elders. He listens to his high school buddies. And uh, he, he spoke proudly and harshly, and the people rebelled against him. And Rehoboam ended up having his kingdom split. And he was only left with a small portion of that kingdom. See, his swagger, his arrogance revealed an inner weakness and an inner security. And it led to outward weakness and outward insecurity. And as, as, as a resu- result of his pride and, and, and desire to be honored, he had a diminished kingdom instead of the big kingdom he wanted. This is why we say it is better to be honorable than it is to be honored. Our next illustration starts out in verse uh, 38. And though, as John begins to speak, and it's almost like John didn't hear a word that Jesus said, because this is what he says. John said to him, verse 38, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him. For, one, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For one who is not against us is for us. John says, hey, Jesus, we saw this guy. And he was performing exorcisms in your name. But he wasn't one of us. He didn't have one of the membership cards to being one of the 12 disciples. I mean, we're the 12 disciples. We're the special ones. We're the chosen ones. And this guy wasn't one of us. He didn't have permission from us to do this. So we told him he had to stop. This guy, he's doing something that's good. And remember what we said the key was? Remember what we said the key was? 
uh, in, in this section, it is better to be honorable than it is to be honored. This guy, he's doing things good. He, he, is, he, is, he is performing exorcisms. But the key is, is in verse 38, John identifies what his issue is. Verse 38, it says that he tried to stop him because he was not following us. The disciples were supposed to be the special ones. John said, hey, I'm special because I'm one of Jesus' disciples. And I didn't give you permission to be doing these exorcisms. So I'm not going to allow you to do any more of this work in Jesus' name. You almost kind of get a sense of jealousy from John. That he's jealous because this guy is performing these exorcisms. This guy, he was doing things in Jesus' name. And, and, and it's almost as if Jesus was saying this. Jesus was, was being very direct with him. He said, don't stop him. Stop trying to compete with other people. Stop trying to, to keep all the glory for yourself. Stop trying to build walls to, to keep people and to ensure that you keep your honor. These people are doing things in my name. In my name. This exorcist, whoever he is, He's doing what the disciples couldn't do last week. Remember last week, the disciples, they tried to cast out a demon from a little boy, but they couldn't do it because they tried to do it in their own power. So here, this exorcism guy, whoever he is, he's doing what the disciples couldn't do last week. And he says, whoever isn't for against us is for us. He says, don't try and build these walls. And Jesus summarizes this illustration in verse 41. He says, for truly I say to you, whoever gives a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. What Jesus is trying to teach these disciples right here is that members of his kingdom do not worry about status. They don't worry about trivial tasks. They do what is necessary. They simply go about the business of serving others. I mean, God is aware of that kind of humble faith and obedience and service to him. And Jesus says very clearly, they will receive their reward from him. He's saying, be faithful in the little things, and they will receive their reward from him. You see the point? It's better to be honorable than it is to be honored. Finally, one more illustration. Jesus says in verse 42, He says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Jesus is still speaking, and he's still got this child on his lap. He's got his child right here. And he says, you know, since his disciples are supposed to be devoted to him, devoted to service, he says, they should never do anything that would uh, bring about a stumbling block in, in one of the disciples, cause another disciple to stumble in their faith. Cause them to to struggle in their faith. See, Jesus, he's the protector of his disciples. Even the littlest. Even the child. Even the one with low status. And he says, anybody who would cause one of my disciples to stumble. He says, it would be better for them to drown in the bottom of the sea than to come to face to face with me in judgment. Because he will wreak havoc on them. See, by now you kind of have to hope that the disciples get the idea They're beginning to realize that Jesus, uh, following Jesus does not entitle them great status or great privilege. Jesus is teaching them it is better to be honorable than it is to be honored. But now Jesus is going to move right into a warning about being ensnared in their own sins. 
Read with me, starting again in verse 43. It says, And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where worm does not die and fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will it make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Hell, it's not one of the fun topics that we like to talk about. It's not something we usually highlight and say, let's spend a lot of time talking about this. But we don't want to be like those disciples. We don't want to be the disciples who only like these, some ideas about God. We don't want to talk about the hard things about God. We want to embrace this. Here, Jesus describes hell as a fire that is not quenched. Now, fire, if we know, fire is, is painful. Fire disintegrates. But this fire in hell is unlike any fire that we ever know. Because the fires we know, eventually they will die down. Eventually they will go out. But this fire in hell, it will burn. It is never quenched. It will burn full in fury for all eternity. And Jesus is saying that sin is like fire. Just as fire leads to disintegration and to ministry, misery, so does sin. Sin leads to disintegration. Sin leads to misery. We know this to be true. We absolutely know this to be true. When we have anger and greed and envy and hatred, all these things begin to disintegrate our body. They disintegrate the the, the relationships around us. They disintegrate community. They, They bring misery upon us. So what's Jesus talking about here? I'll tell you, the point is that when we sin, the point is not that we should cut off our hand or our foot or eye, literally. The point is that when we sin, each one of us are responsible for our sin. We are responsible for our actions. There's no blaming our sin on someone else. There's no blaming our sin and say it's Satan's fault. There's no blaming our sin and saying, well, my It's because of my parents that I sinned because they didn't buy me a bike when I was eight years old. I mean, there's no blaming anybody for your sin. When we sin, we are fully and solely responsible for our actions. And so whatever it is that tempts you, Jesus says it must be cast aside. So we go back to our idea. We have to take this, this story that Jesus taught us and go back to our big idea about it is better to be honorable than it is to be honored. See, Jesus was teaching these 12 disciples. And he's teaching you and I that if we're going to follow him, we have to abandon everything. We have to abandon everything to follow him. These disciples and you and I, we have to be willing to give up anything and everything to follow him. And Jesus says, whatever keeps you from remaining faithful to Jesus, no matter how silly you look, whatever keeps you from following Jesus, you must be willing to cast it aside because it is better for you and I to look like a fool to those around you and to be honorable than it is to be honored and look like everybody expects you to look and to miss out on the kingdom of God. So here's, here's what this looks like. Here's what this looks like. A couple of weeks ago, a guy calls me and says, hey, pastor, pastor, I want to let you know something happened. He said, I walked out of my job yesterday. 
And I'm like, what? You've got a good job? You get paid well? You walked out of your job? He says, yes, pastor, I walked out of my job because I'll tell you what, when I'm in that job, I become bitter. I become angry. I have a poor testimony. And you know what? This isn't working. I don't like who I'm becoming in that job. I said, praise God. Praise God. I'll tell you what this looks like. This means married people. If you have a friendship that, that you know exactly the one I'm talking about, the one that you like, the one that makes you feel special, the one that gives you feelings that you haven't had in a long time, you means that you cut that friendship off. No matter how good it makes you feel, it is better for you to be honorable than it is just to feel good because somebody is giving you attention. This means men. Men, if you cannot stop looking at things on your computer or on your phone, it means either you get accountability or you throw the stupid thing out the window. You don't allow that to continue to fester. This means that if you've got some unconfessed sin, something that you've hidden, something that you want to try and save face and say, if anybody knew this about me, man, I would be destroyed. It means you don't keep trying to, to save your honor because it's a fake honor. Jesus is saying, you be bold, confess your sin, because it's far better in God's eye for you to be honorable than it is for you to be honored by the people in this world. What God is doing here is he's trying to teach his disciples and us that we have to build our lives on a new foundation. A foundation that is not viewed with an idea of greatness according to this world, but a foundation that is viewed with greatness according to his kingdom. According to a greatness and to a, a, according to a mentality that says, that says, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and a servant of all. Because that is the way that the kingdom of God looks like. It is better for us to be honorable than it is to be honored. So how do we do this? How do we build this new foundation with Gospel kingdom mentality. How do we pursue being honorable over being honored? I tell you, sometimes when we, we think about giving our life to Christ, we think it means this. It thinks, we think it means that we go to our bank account. And we, we, we take the bank account of our life and we take everything out. My bank account, it's got 100 bucks in it. I don't know what yours got. Mine's got 100 bucks. It's kind of like you go to your bank account, you take it all out, you take your $100 bill, and you slap it down on the table and say, Jesus, it's yours. I'm yours. All of me is yours right here, right now. You know, we think we go out in a blaze of glory, and that's it. And there are some of you that that has been your story. At one point, you just laid it all on the table and said, Jesus, I am all yours. But I think the reality for most of us is that Jesus sends us to the bank of our lives and tells us not to take a $100 bill out, but tells us to take $100 worth of quarters. And we go through life putting 25 cents here, 50 cents there. It's a bunch of small decisions of choosing to be honorable. So instead of telling the neighbor kid to get lost, instead we might listen to their troubles. It means that we respond to the volunteer request at church and we're willing to sacrifice and serve of ourselves for others in the church. It means that we're willing to give a cup of water to the shaky old man at the nursing home. See, giving our life usually isn't some glorious event. It's usually done in these small acts. 
25 cents at a time. This is how it's done. This is how we choose to be honorable instead of being honored. 25 cents here, 50 cents there. Today, will you join me in choosing to be honorable instead of choosing to pursue honor? Would you pray with me?